welcome to the Financial Planning for Canadian Business Owners podcast. You will hear about industry insights with award-winning financial planner and entrepreneur, Jason Pereira. Through the interviews with different experts with their stories and advice, you will learn how you can navigate the challenges of being an entrepreneur, plan for success, and make the most of your business and life. And now, your host, Jason Pereira. Hello and welcome. Today on the show, I have Betsy Ehrenberg. She is the CEO and founder of Legacy Concierge. And Legacy Concierge is a service that helps people deal with digital assets after death. This is a newer problem in estate planning, but one that cannot be underestimated and just how painful this can be. So with that, here's my interview with Betsy. Betsy, thank you for taking the time. I am delighted to be here. And I always enjoy talking about how people can protect their assets, their estate, and explaining what digital assets are because they're all over the place and most people are not even aware of it. So let's begin with the premise. Everyone has a digital footprint. People from two to 92 have information about them stored on computers. And that information is stored in digital form in electronic records and therefore is a digital asset. The digital footprint includes data and documents on your phone, on your tablet, on your laptop and your desk computer, and many other computers that are controlled by others. So who is controlling this and who has access to your digital footprint? The answer, you. You should be in control, but over 200 companies on average have information about each one of us. I consider this a big problem. So over 200, I mean, that's that's a lot. So, I mean, people are... They hear digital assets. I think the bigger notion of the day is the concept of cryptocurrencies, which I mean, really fall under that category. But this is this is so much more. I mean, like this is my my photos on Apple Photos. This is my Facebook profile. This is countless things. So first, so we, now that we establish what that is, it's basically anything that information that you have online that someone can access and that you're entitled to. Talk about like, the implications for what happens if this doesn't get sorted out. Well. <laughs> First of all, I want to sort of expand the definition. Your digital footprint are electronic records that are associated with an individual with you. So Mm -hmm. they include your email and financial accounts. Mm -hmm. They include your government files like voter registration and your passport. They include housing bills, your electrical bill, maybe your mortgage payments. They include your insurance policy, my automobile, my life insurance, And they include your medical records, shopping sites, and of course, social media. So the implication of having those all out there means that someone can easily impersonate you and they do it all the time. So if we just go into one situation that happens, one out of eight deaths is the following. A person passes away, an obituary appears in the newspaper. A fraudster reads it. They are especially interested in high net worth individuals. They then match that up to social media. They now can find a lot more information about you as well as pictures. Now they pay $20 and find your social security number. That's how easy it is to get a social security number. $20. Yes, $20. And it's frightening. They use the information they found from social media and from the obituary to impersonate you and apply for credit cards. The banks are so anxious to have you 
And the credit reporting companies don't know your debt. So a credit card is issued in the name of the decedent, but the fraudster has control of it. The fraudster buys and applies for and gets three or four credit cards. And as long as the money spent on those credit cards is less than $8,000 a month, the bank does not go after the fraudster for three months. So you can do the math and figure out how much can be purchased. It's huge. And that's just one aspect of the kind of identity theft and other theft that happen when people are not aware of their digital assets. Another kind of theft that happens, which can be resolved, is that automatic payments keep coming out of the bank account. The Netflix subscription, the newspaper subscription, maybe your donation to the college you attended. You set it up that every month, $500 would go to that college. College doesn't know. And before you know it, the bank accounts of the decedent are decreased by the clearinghouses, the automatic payments, and the fiduciary suddenly has to unravel this. And that job is so new that generally attorneys don't want to be bothered doing it. They don't know how to do it. Their paralegals don't know how to do it. And what's a different process for everybody, right? Assuming they even have a process for how you deal with the estate. I mean, sorry to interject there. I mean, the uh, more recently, Apple created a process for authorizing someone else to access things in case you are deceased. But that's one of the only technology companies I know it's actually created an actual like platform for doing that. Isn't that about right? No, actually, Jason, two other companies yeah. have the ability for individuals, you and I, to actually designate another user ID to access our account when we are disabled, unable to do so. One is Facebook, where mm-hmm. they have a legacy contact, whereby A Facebook user can say, if I am no longer able to use this account, I will designate this other person, this other email address. Google has the same thing. It's called inactive manager. As a Google user and as a Facebook user, I have to sort of work my way into their applications to figure out where I actually put the email address, and name of the person who can access my account. Sorry, that's, that's part of what I was starting to interject there. That's part of the, the like I was going to get it there, but it's it's not part of the onboarding. It's not like, in no point, I've been being asked when I'm setting something up or in an annual, like, approve of terms, hey, in case you kick the bucket, like, who do you want to unlock this to, right? Like, there's no check. So if I got to go out and seek it, that's nice. But at the same time, it really doesn't solve the problem if it doesn't nudge me to actually get that done. No, it doesn't. And I will tell you the, a bigger problem is when a person has a cell phone, if it's an Apple or a Samsung, there's a pin associated with getting onto that phone. And every person who has a phone, you and I both have them, should be able to tell someone else, how do you get into my phone? And the reason you want to do that is because many accounts have what is called multi-factor authentication. It's not enough to just know the password. You have to have something. Multi-factor means that you have to know something and you have to have something. It doesn't mean two passwords because that's knowing two things. So multi-factor is important. But if the fiduciary can't open the phone, 
even though they are given legal authority by a will or a trust, they will have great difficulty getting onto the accounts of the decedent or a person who is disabled. Yeah. So this is a huge problem. Well, and- I mean, I think about the human implications of some of this stuff. I mean, first off, the fact that you, you're saying one in eight are subject to some form of a fraud afterwards, that is insane. That's 12, that's more than one in every 10 deceased cases. And that's, that's just substantial. And I just think to myself of the, the estate basically having these claims suddenly arrive about these overdue credit cards. And it's like, what do you, what do you do? These aren't the credit cards. And now, now the executors are, who's already got a ton of work to do is now, you know, up against it to prove that it wasn't them. So that's just, that's nuts. But I've also, you know, something as simple as Facebook, not being able to disconnect your turn off your loved one's accounts so that you don't have to be reminded that they're gone. Those things will pop up and or you'll be, you know, their their names will come up. Or I've even seen cases where they get hacked and someone else is using that person's identity. And that's you're already in a sensitive, painful position already to have to deal with that kind of stuff. It's not it's not anything anyone wants to deal with ever. Absolutely not. When people are grieving, they want to remember the decedent in positive terms. And when they are faced with identity theft or loss of money, or continue to get a message, wish Pat a happy birthday, and she's been dead for two years, and nobody went into the Facebook account and changed the status to memorialized. And once a person goes into Facebook with the authority and indicates on Facebook's account for Pat Green, she passed. Every time the somebody will look her up, it'll say memorialized. So they will know, but it doesn't necessarily stop the wish Pat a happy birthday. Now, we've all gone through COVID. Over 700,000 people have died. Many of them were on LinkedIn. So what does LinkedIn do? They say wish Pat a happy anniversary. Yeah, their work anniversary. And I'll tell you a a story. One of our first stories was that a 55-year-old woman had to deal with her mother's estate. She was 83. She went to the house and she kept on getting mail saying, address to mom. This was physical stuff. However, those 19 letters meant that 19 companies had mom's name on their rosters. And whether it was the museum or the symphony or the congregation, whether it was the IRS, no, all of these letters addressed to mom were very upsetting. Now, 18 of the 19 custodians agreed to remove mom's name when our company asked them to do so. And the only one that wouldn't was AARP. <laughs> the company that probably has to deal with this problem the most said no. Well, they said no because we did not specifically provide date of birth of mom. We provided the obituary that had date of birth, but our electronic message to AARP didn't call it out. Then we changed our procedures so that with AARP, we provide distinctly this is state of death, this is state of birth, then they removed it. This was shocking. Now, if you talk about big organizations, let's talk about a major bank, and I'm not going to give its name, but <laughs> they have- what logo is? Sorry. Again, my always plays, like I was giving a hint. <laughs> they have 66% of the market. In the United States, 3 million people die. 
66% is well over one and a half million people die every year. This bank expects the fiduciary of those accounts of that estate to call them up and speak to someone. This is nuts. This is absolutely nuts. And another big institution requires the fiduciary to go into a branch office. But what if there isn't a branch office? That's a problem. But, People yeah. don't have that. So part of what we do as a company, what Legacy Concierge does, is to advocate for the fiduciary. When we first tried to transfer 500,000 reward points from in Southwest from a decedent to the beneficiary, customer service said, we don't have to do it. I got on the phone. I spoke to general counsel. I said, by law, you do have to do it. And the law was passed in 2016. This is the uh, probate code. You must transfer those assets to the beneficiary. And they did. But that's one airline. What about American and United? There's a, a disconnect between customer service and the fiduciary and the family. And a major part of what our company does is advocate for the family. And when we have wins like we did with Apple, with Google, and with Facebook, we're thrilled. We, and it took for Facebook 15 months for them to release five years worth of data of a decedent, deliver it on a flash drive to the family. 15 months. Wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, yeah. Now, 14 of the months was talking to them. Once they agreed to do it, it was 10 days. That, that sounds more like it. But the, the thing is, is that add insult to injury, right? Like these are grieving people, right? Under stress and a million things to do. And it's not like people don't die on a regular basis. You know, that's that's what it comes down to. It does, it's not like people don't die on a regular basis and that this shouldn't be something that they should work to streamline. And of course, make sure the diligence is done to make sure that someone is who they claim they are and you know, work to acquire proof of life if you can. It's not like that's not the case. But my goodness, like that is just crazy. But they haven't spent the time to standardize their processes of how you're going to do this just to deal with an everyday problem. And not only do they not have a procedure. They have a very expensive process right now where they assign a person. Let's say Apple assigns a person who they're paying over $100,000 a year to talk to the fiduciary, to physically look at documents. This is expensive, time-consuming, poor use of resources. And it's because of ongoing conversations that we had with Apple, that they finally came up with this idea that you could, in fact, designate another person. Before anyone goes looking for that, I just went looking for it myself. It's still not fully in the newest version of iOS 15, although it's coming. So uh, yeah, it will blast that out over the internet once it actually does. But yeah, that was a big win. So if you were helping lobby for that, thank you. Because I actually remember watching the keynote being like, this is big news in my world and I'm not hearing anyone talk about it. Well, it isn't available yet. And we have been told it's fourth quarter. So officially it should show up. Mm -hmm. I suspect it'll show up December 31st of this year, the last day of the quarter. But I'm happy if it shows up by the middle of March next year. It Mm -hmm. will save a lot of time, a lot of money, and it'll save a lot of grief. And the other thing that is kind of painful is when a phone has pictures of the decedent and their relatives, and the fiduciary can't get to them. People don't have paper records anymore. 
They don't have photographs and frames. That's not the world we live in. So my advice is that as a person is approaching 70, let's say, they are a member of AARP, they should start to create an inventory of what's important. First of all, their phone, their cell phone, how do you get on it? They have another device, whether it's a laptop or a desktop, how do you get on that? Then the next thing is to talk about what email is the most important. What is the email that is being used to pay for Netflix and subscriptions that is registered with the registrar of the voter registration? What email is the key email associated with all the digital assets belonging to that 70-year-old person? And then the 45-year-old child who will probably be burdened with this activity of sorting things out. They should become aware of the importance of talking about the subject. It is not a, a gloomy subject. Hey, mom and dad, you're going to die someday. Rather, (laughs) hey, mom and dad, you have such a legacy to share. And I want to make sure it is shared the way you want. And I think the most important thing is your photos. What do you want to have happen to them? Who do you want to see them? And have a discussion in a positive way that planning for a digital legacy is a gift to the next generation. Yeah, it's amazing that this is not a bigger priority for companies. But so best practices, you've talked about that when as these digital solutions emerge, you know, hopefully they're going to do a little bit better of a job of nudging us to make sure we take advantage of them. So otherwise they won't get implemented. One of the things I use quite frequently is a password record keeper that I do. I'm able to share with my spouse. And essentially, if anything goes wrong, she has access to those that information. I think it actually even has a proof like a not a proof of life, but it has a it does have a, the ability to access it in, in case I do pass away. So, I mean, there's there are some product, some some features built into some products out there that are there. But otherwise, if you're not, it's like anything else with your estate. If you're not organized on where these things are, then you're in trouble. Sorry. There is one thing. A password manager helps you when you're alive access the accounts. And in your case, you've said to your spouse, You can access my accounts with this password manager. Mm -hmm. However, the spouse is not allowed by law to impersonate you. There's a very big difference between accessing for the purpose of continuity and allowing processes to be transferred or closed down versus impersonating. Impersonating is against the law, federal law, and state law. So the fact that you have planned ahead and given another person access to the accounts and the passwords is good, but they have to understand the restrictions that they have to operate under. And impersonating a decedent is against the law. Very fair statement. So this is the problem. We've established it. (laughs) Another (laughs) another example of an area where if you don't get organized, another example of a reason why you should always say no to being an executor. Uh, But that said, if you have to say yes, This is one of those areas everybody should definitely be up to date on. Talk to me about what your service does to basically solve the problem for people. Our service is called Locket, and we have four phases. The first is to identify the digital footprint of the decedent. And we do that by populating 
a secure legacy vault, which we share with the fiduciary. So identify as number one. We use proprietary software to be able to locate emails, financial accounts, government records, health records, and housing information. We use the address, the last known address of the individual to be able to create an inventory of electronic records that are associated with that address and with that person. Shopping sites and social congregations, clubs, community service. So we first is identify how big the electronic footprint is. Secondly, to prioritize it based upon our algorithms as to what should be closed down first. If there are multiple emails, which email is associated with most of the accounts? What is the downside of closing off or redirecting emails to another person? So we identify, then we organize, we review this with the fiduciary, with our recommendations. We say you should really get rid of these things and close them down. We also use search features of the standard search engines and show the fiduciary all the places that the decedent's name is popping up. And we recommend that they be removed and then we cause them to be removed because by law, if a custodian is asked to remove something, they must do so. Interesting. Social security will be notified that a person has passed away. If a person, if the decedent was on Medicare, Social Security, the Social Security Administration has been depositing money into a bank account. The minute they find out a person is dead, that bank account is frozen. Hmm. Now, if that bank account was being used to pay the mortgage on the house that the successors are still living in, can you see the problem? So we are very, very careful in our identification process and notification process not to upset the apple cart and to bring to the attention of the fiduciary the order in which things have to be stopped. Canceling a credit card does is not an answer. If that credit card is paying bills that are important for the house to stay in good working conditions so the value of the house doesn't go down because the security system was closed and it was vandalized. You can see there's a whole chain of events that can happen. So another thing our company does is ongoing research. The procedures for closing accounts with Chase change every 30 days. The procedures for closing with Bank of America change on a regular basis. So as a, for our efficiency, we remain up to date. So we identify review, we notify, and then we secure assets. And secure means that we actually gain access to them, like the photographs on Facebook, what's on the phone, the old emails, we analyze, we secure them. The other meaning of secure is that we cause them to be frozen. That's important. We know that it's easy to stop a subscription like a Netflix. We also know it's not a good idea to stop the gardening service. If okay, do you see what can happen? Yeah. Let's not let's so, not let's not go canceling everything. That's not the way yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so we're not grieving. The family is, and the fiduciary is overwhelmed. 
We do this all the time. And our software does it automatically using what we call a ticketing system. And the ticketing system is very dependent. Whatever the procedures are in January of 2022 may not be the procedures that will be in place in July of 2022. And the minute we start a process of locking accounts, we have to use the procedures and follow through with them as they were as of date of death, not as they are today. There are so many little subtleties of what happens and why custodians don't want to be bothered. It's not their business. Well, it's it's true. And they're, and again, go back to your subtlety point. Every, I'm sure they all have their own internal processes. There's no one uniform way that these things are handled. These are administrative tasks that have to fit whatever administrative framework everybody's developed in, individually. So yes, painful difficulty. And I'm glad that at least you and your company's out there to help so that I don't have to do it myself ever because that would be an absolute nightmare. But yes, very valuable service. And I'm glad you're actually doing a lot on the advocacy side. Can you speak as to what led you to do that? You just want to, I mean, at the end of the day, uh, you're talking to these companies about these problems already. Uh, you're bringing these issues to light. Are they, are they the ones basically asking you how they fix it permanently? Are you basically pushing them to fix it permanently? We are pushing the companies to fix it permanently. We, first of all, convince them that this is a problem for them, not for us. They are wasting time and money and they are being cruel. They cannot have people in charge of this process. They must have what's called an API, an interface, so that companies like Legacy Concierge can notify them through a piece of software. And that piece of software goes into their legacy applications and marks the file as frozen or deleted or transfers the assets from an existing account to another and then reports back to us that they actually did the work. We are advocating that government, private industry, public companies have an electronic connection. It's from a technical point of view, an app where We can electronically fill in fields, attach copies of documents, and transfer it to them. They have the ability, using AI, to read the documents, make sure they're right, and actually take the action that we are requiring, freezing, transferring, deleting, or securing. And this is not a high priority. But in December 2018, one of the Vanguard consultants realized that he had access to accounts of deceased clients. He opened up his own account. He transferred the assets from deceased clients' accounts into a new account. Christmas 2018, this Vanguard employee bragged to his brother that he had transferred over $2 million to his account and had taken it out. In January, the brother reported him to the FBI. By March of 2019, he was in jail. And Vanguard, big company, fixed up their procedures. It was in the paper. I suspect other investment companies have procedures in place now. Maybe they were in place in 2018, but I'm pretty sure they're in place today. If this could happen at Vanguard, 
which is huge. It could happen anywhere. With Facebook, if fraudsters are today impersonating deceased people on a regular basis, it can happen and stealing from the estate. It's something that upsets me and our team. And that is why we are such advocates on behalf of the legal community and the grieving community to make it easy and electronically efficient. Well, it's such a win-win for everyone involved, right? The grieving community benefits. You actually eliminate complexity from your business and get to be able to offer the service more easily to people. And the companies themselves get to avoid this ridiculous headline risk that they face, right? And resentment uh, from, from users of the deceased. I mean, the users of the deceased are all consumers, right? And they're going to remember the way that they were treated when they ran into that. So... And there's one other thing, because laws are in place that define the role of the fiduciary and encourage attorneys to include the designation of a digital executor in wills and trusts, it's important for the attorneys to discuss digital asset exposure with their clients. And if they don't, and if and don't include any conditions or provisions for a digital executor, the beneficiaries can sue the attorney for creating a document that didn't conform to the legislation that was in place when the document was created. In New York State, fiduciaries can be sued because they haven't notified the state police that a firearm that was associated with a deceased person has been turned into the state within 15 days of the death. 15 days. 15 15 days. days. They've barely been in the ground for that long. That's right. You're going to get sued because you you were too emotionally damaged or emotionally hurt by their loss that you didn't get to the start, to even starting to catalog things. Just Now, how do they find out there's a crime? A gun is found. It is registered to Pat Green. Pat Green died two years ago. Mm -hmm. Why didn't the fiduciary take that gun, turn it into the police, and cancel the registration. Why were they irresponsible with that gun? That's the reason the law was put in place, 2016. This is not new. I don't know how the law was even passed. Why the NRA didn't stand up and say, you've got to be kidding. But it was passed. Let's let's face it, the NRA probably did stand up and say, you got to be kidding. (laughs) But it probably still passed, right? It it did pass. So what, what this means is that when a professional is discussing trust and estate administration, trust and estate planning, if they are in New York State, they should ask the question, By the way, do either one of you own guns? Yes or no? Well, let's talk about what should happen upon death of one of you, one or the other, or both. There should be this discussion. But if there isn't a discussion, whoever is appointed by the probate court to be the fiduciary of the estate can be held liable if they did not turn the gun in or and notify state police. Interesting. Well... This has been a, um, the estate conversations are sometimes fascinating, sometimes a little depressing. This has been informative and I hope everybody, a little bit depressing, but not depressing in that at least we know that there's, and this part of the reason to have you on the podcast was to inform the world that services like yours exist because without having us cross paths, I wouldn't even know where to start on this. So um, Betsy, thank you for the work you do and the advocacy you do and for spending the time with me today to help people understand 
the challenges that basically happen with digital assets. And no, we're not just talking about Bitcoin, which is its own challenge. If uh, you don't have both the uh, both the wallet ID and the and the and the, and the private key, so good luck to you on that one if you're not storing it properly. So Betsy, before I go, where can people find you? They can find us on our website www.legacy-concierge.com. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today for Financial Plan Canadian Business Owners. I hope you enjoyed that and hope you learned a lot. And I hope you learned about just how difficult it can be to settle in a state and given the digital realm we live in and how much data is out there. And it's a problem that is probably only going to get bigger until it gets solved. As always, if you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever it is your podcast. Until next time, take care. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals, business owners, and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and Spotify, or find more episodes at jasonperera.ca. You can even ask Surrey, Alexa, or Google Home to subscribe for you. 